0: You know, a great coach told me one time the old saying: "You know, you're always one step away from the gutter," and it humbles you, right? Because if you want to be successful in whatever it is you do, you got to believe that there's nothing beneath you, right? Some days you got to pick up the rake and rake the field. Some days you got to pick up the trash in the corner, right? If you want to have a successful program. Sometimes you got to do the things that maybe you don't want to do. When you start thinking that stuff is beneath you, I don't need to do these things because I'm better than that. It'll be short-lived, trust me. You're never as good as you think you are, and (laughs) you're never as bad as you think you are either, right? That's great. And that you just, you know, you're, 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 you're just always one step away. And that keeps you motivated. It keeps you on the task at hand. It keeps you trying to sharpen your saw and get better and constantly uh, moving forward. So You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger.
1: Bro! from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. This is your home for certified audio gold and your podcast destination where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Welcome into the community of lifelong learners that make up our group of loyal listeners. There's a conversation that's waiting for all of us on the other side of this intro that has the potential to change the course of your coaching career, guys. That's a fact. It can change your mindset, which can change your actions, which can change the way you're motivated to coach, and in essence, has the opportunity to change your life. And that's why you dial into this podcast and you buckle in for today's show. Major transparency and some real perspective coming through the airwaves today connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ABCA1945. Always feel free to reach out to me directly on Twitter at CoachSheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S at ABCA.org. I have to send a shout out to my great friends, Ryan Alexander and Tom Marker, Derek Woodley, and so many others for their tweets about these shows. You got dudes like Joe Kaiser, who's always on the other end of these earbuds. I know you're there, Joe. And thank you guys for the tweets, the texts, the notes. Those are what keep us motivated on how we can keep getting better for each and every one of you guys. Don't forget to subscribe, review, and share. Hit the subscribe button on your phone, your computer, your tablet. Every single Tuesday, these shows will show up waiting for you. Leave us a review on there. We'd love to see five-star ratings come through. And please share this show. Just like I mentioned, one simple tweet or starting even a text group inside your contacts all the baseball people you have access to guys send them a note let them know that you're digesting audio gold you're getting better each and every week find a way that they can as well you just don't know where that goes it could send someone down a more positive path in this game so keep spreading the great word we appreciate your help on those fronts a major announcement this week guys and moving forward We'd like to welcome in our longtime proud ABCA partner, Rawlings, into the dugout chatter fold. They have chosen to rework their partnership with the ABCA to include these podcasts. Thank you guys for believing in this podcast and where we're going. And for their first note to our listeners, Rawlings wants to make sure you guys know that as the official helmet of Major League Baseball, and the Babe Ruth League, Rawlings is proud to introduce its latest innovation, the new Mock EXT Batting Helmet with Facial Extension Piece. With its sleek profile that allows for optimized ventilation and impacts high performance padding that absorbs and disperses force, the Mock EXT is engineered to perform. Additionally, the Mach's extension piece provides additional facial coverage and protection without limiting visibility because coverage equals confidence as we all know available in both junior and senior sizes as well as one and two-tone versions you can buy the all-new rawlings mock ext batting helmet at rawlings.com again that's rawlings.com if you're looking for more information about this product and all the things that they have to offer the baseball community it's an easy transition from rawlings to this week's guest on the show We welcome in the University of Virginia head coach Brian O'Connor, a loyal 25-year continuous member inside this association, and someone that's been on our short list for a while now. We wanted to connect with Brian right after he had the opportunity to coach for the USA Baseball National Team with two of his greatest influences in coaching, and really allow him to reflect on his career in baseball, and man... Did he ever. Some powerful, introspective audio gold is coming your way. When you think about what Brian and his staff have accomplished in their 16 years at UVA, I'm talking about the 2015 National Champs, four College World Series appearances, including two appearances in the finals, 14 straight NCAA tournament appearances, seven regional championships, four 50-win seasons. And with all that in mind, they have built the Cavaliers into a national powerhouse program. We get Brian to open up the early days in building this program, but even as we go back further to his days playing at Creighton and in the shadows of the College World Series, to learning some important coaching lessons in his first years in the dugout, to constantly challenging his why to coach every single day. It's humility, it's character, it's a conversation with a true lifelong learner that is what's on deck for us today so let's jump right in pull up a bucket with us we're going to have a seat in the dugout and we're going to chat with University of Virginia head coach Brian O'Connor as he joins our dugout chatter episode and get ready coaches this great show is coming at you right now. now Coaches, thanks for dialing into our calls from the Clubhouse podcast beyond stoked for this week's episode. We get an opportunity to connect with a coach that just lives a few hours north from here at our national office here in Greensboro, but a guy that I've paid attention to my entire coaching career, and certainly a guy that is very entrenched inside the ABCA, and a coach that's built one of the premier ACC programs and one of the national programs that we all pay attention to. We're going to connect with the 16th year skipper at the University of Virginia, Brian O'Connor. Coach O'Connor, thanks for jumping on the call with us.
0: Oh, thanks thanks for having me on i really appreciate it this is a uh, great opportunity for me i i've uh, always enjoyed my my years in involvement with the abca and certainly uh, coaching is my life and i've made it my livelihood and yeah. and have uh, enjoyed the other podcasts that you, you that you all have had and and certainly want to uh uh, give a great one here today. So thanks for having me on. We're excited to have you. And I thought you
1: were ready to open up as a bucket list moment for you to get ass on, which I just, I love the fact that I told you before we got recording that this is, this has been on my shortlist for a long time and I've, I've paid attention to you as a coach, uh, even through your career at Notre Dame to what you've done at Virginia as a guy man, I really want to connect with and have a great conversation with. And, and like we discussed the timing of this interview, and especially what you just came off of this summer makes this interview very relevant. And we've got a lot we want to get into, man, because I think you've got so much to offer but as you know, we always start our shows. It's a great way for us to use these platforms, use this media audio platform to connect with guys that are loyal inside the ABCA. You're, you're a proud 24 year continuous member. And if I could, Brian, just open up for us, your experience over the years being a part of ABCA attending conventions, obviously speaking on the main stage and just being part of what our baseball coaching fraternity is all about.
0: Well, it's, it's a, it's a great fraternity. As you know, she's, um, sure. you know, the, most, most importantly, what it it does is certainly we all can can learn from each other, but what is so great about it is it it brings coaches together Mm -hmm. from all levels of baseball, you know, and you can, whether it's listening to a podcast, whether it's going to a convention, whether it's going to a clinic, whatever it is, we have every level to major league managers Mm -hmm. that are involved to little league coaches and everywhere in between. And uh, when, when you have that and you're able to, share ideas through whatever platform it is, whether it's a podcast like this or it's speaking at the convention or running into somebody at the convention or ABCA clinic, certainly the ABCA and the experience that I have had and the people that I've been involved with in baseball over the years has been uh, very, very impactful. And I'm proud to say that I've been a member for that many years and, and have been to the majority of the conventions over the years. The ones I've missed is because there's been an obligation with the family or sure. something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the ABCA all American committee that selects the all Americans who are division one college baseball and have been doing that a number of years. And so uh, it's just a, the whole thing, the ABCA, is a, it's just a great platform to develop relationships and up for us to, grow and, and learn in life.
1: That's awesome. You know, you're 26 years into this whole thing. And uh, I was just reflecting as you, as you were going through that, I always think about the first few years. And I've talked with coach Corbin from Vanderbilt about this. And, um, you know, the first few years you get there and you're really trying to understand what this whole thing is. And, and at that point, you know, it may not be nearly as overwhelming as it is now. We're now on site, we're going to have 6,000 plus coaches. But when you first got rolling, you're looking at you know two, three, four thousand coaches again, still overwhelming with the trade show and the main stage. I think it's really a cool dynamic that if you don't mind me saying, you know, when you first get going, you know, you're breaking into this thing, you're probably looking around, going, "Man, there's uh, Rod Dado, there's Skip Burtman. there's all these guys," and you don't feel like that you're worthy enough or you're intimidated to go up and just have a conversation. And what blows people away. Is that those guys want to converse with you? Corbs talks about all the time. You know, I got all these guys that want to come up and ask me about Vandy. Just like, and again, I'm putting you in this category. People find you, they see the V on the polo, and they go, Brian, let's talk about what you guys do in your program. What's Carl do with the pitchers? What's Mac doing? And you're like, Well, wait a minute, man. I want to know what you're doing. Like, you're a very, very successful high school coach. You're a very successful small college coach. What are you doing? That I can bring back to the Cavaliers, I think that's an interesting dynamic that a lot of guys don't appreciate.
0: Well, I, I think you're exactly right, and that's that's what I was speaking towards. Is that you know you have varying levels of people competing in the the, the realm of baseball at all mm-hmm. levels. But then you're right; you have that young coach like I was when I when I went to my first con- convention. and I was 23 years old, and and looking at the 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 icons of college baseball coaches and you know, professional baseball managers and everybody, every level of baseball and how comfortable everybody feels of, you know, just talking the game and learning. Sure. And, you know, I'll tell you, you know, to your point is um, it, it, it when you stop learning in this game and you stop asking questions and what other people are doing uh, you know, you, when you think you have it all figured out, this, this game is going to pass you by mm-hmm. because there's people around you that, you know, whether you're competing against them or not, that are, that are doing things that you have to pay attention to. And this is, you know, the the core base of the, of the game of baseball sheets, as you know, is, is, is simple and historical. And a lot of things are, have been the same for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- 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 constantly in this game, you have to have your eyes and your ears open and you have to uh, tweak things to kind of sharpen your saw and get a little bit better. And, and, and improve as a coach to, to then be able to pass it on to the young men that you're, that you're coaching. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I always love that about the convention is to, you know, r- certainly run into you know old friends that you've seen and that you might only see once a year, but it's also, uh, you know, the, the coach that comes up to you or that you come up to a coach and you get to share and talk about ideas and, uh, you know, just sitting sitting in that convention hall and listening to the speaker, the speeches for for three days. it's It's just amazing of the information that you can gain. and and you know, I, I think she said, we're we're all good thieves in some ways, right? Sure. Um, I mean we're all <laughs> yeah. taking information from from, from from other people, right? Mm-hmm. and and we're taking that and we're tweaking it and and from our mentors that we've learned from and other people that we picked their brains over the years, we, you know, we take that information and then we, we make it ours, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a great time. It's something that I look forward to, uh, every year. And then in between those conventions, there's just so many ways that we can improve as a coach, whether it's, you know, you're going out and speaking at a coach's clinic somewhere, or, you know, the availability now of, things online and podcasts and and everything to learn from each other is, is remarkable. I mean, that didn't exist 25 years ago when I get got into the coaching business and you, know, you can sit and listen to podcasts on a long drive recruiting or at your home at night and, and, and learn about what other people are doing and what works for people. Oh, That's so great.
1: So many takeaways in that, and, and one in particular I'm going to come back to uh, that you opened up. I, I think for our listeners, Brian, the, the big key for us when we get this thing rolling, uh, and certainly we're already getting downhill with you here, I just want to let you walk through your career in baseball, and that's a great way to present a platform for every listener to know the things that you go into, well, where's that coming from? And so if you could like, talk through your right. career in baseball each stop along the way, and the caveat to it is, take us through the major lesson. Even as a player, using a first-year coach, and, and certainly getting in there, uh, getting your hands dirty at Virginia, maybe the lessons that you learned at each stop along the way in your journey.
0: Well, I think that's a, a great question, and, and that's what we have to do as coaches is, is 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 grow and the growth as a coach and what we learn over the years. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm a different coach here today at Virginia after being here 15 years i was when i came here when i was 32 sure. but you know my my you know i i i was fortunate to grow up in council Bluffs, iowa right across the missouri river from omaha nebraska mm-hmm. so you know my dad took me and my two brothers to all of these college world series games every year growing up so i felt like i i grew up in that stadium in omaha in yeah. rosenblatt stadium and and uh, you know i just watched the the great teams of, you know, Texas and the LSU's and the uh, Florida States over the years, and, and, and whoever it might be, and watch those great coaches and those great teams, and that was for me and my brothers. She said that was the major leagues for us, of course, yeah. right? I mean, we, we felt like you know we were two, three hours away from Kansas City, but we knew that at that point in June, for two weeks, we could drive across the river. And you idolize those players and coaches. So I was fortunate to kind of grow up in that environment. And then, and then uh, after I graduated from high school, I uh, took a scholarship opportunity to play for Creighton University in Omaha. So here I was, the, the local boy just coming across the river to go to, to, go to school. And, and uh, you know, let me tell you why I made the decision to go to Creighton. And there were other opportunities out there, but... Uh, Jim Hendry, my college coach yes. who recruited me there and the pitching coach, Todd Winberg at the time, uh, you know, I, I could tell in, in Jim Hendry's uh, words in his body language, who he was as a person, mm-hmm. what the goals and aspirations were for the program that he was directing. It was easy for me to decide where I, I wanted to go play college baseball and and so going there and and playing for coach Hendry, And then uh, my pitching coach at the time, there was a gentleman by the name of Todd Winberg, who ended up taking over as the head coach at Creighton when Jim left and, and took the job with the Florida Marlins. And the, you know, the impact that those two men uh, made on me is, is lasting still today and and changed my life, you know, and from the standpoint of what I, what I learned as a player and, you know, about responsibility and, and commitment to things and what, what, what I really learned there is through excellent leadership, what a group of young men can accomplish that maybe people don't think could ever happen. Mm. And Jim Hendry was able to do that. He was able to recruit the right the right men to the organization. But his ability to motivate, to get people going in the right direction, to get the most out of the guys that wore his uniform was so powerful to me. And it's actually what led me into college coaching that I'll get to in a little bit, you know, but he just made such a profound impact on my life and and me as a player that when I left uh, Creighton after four years and and, uh, was drafted by Philadelphia, you know, I knew even though I got my undergraduate degree in business, I knew that I wanted I wanted to do what that guy did. I wanted mm-hmm. to make the kind of impact on young people that, that Jim Hendry made on me. And so, you know, uh, it was a, I, I was fortunate. I would never change my college experience for anything. And we were fortunate in 1991 to play in the College World Series and finish third in the country. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nobody ever thought that a small Jesuit school the local school there in Omaha, Nebraska could ever have that happen. And, right. and Jim Hendry and Todd Winberg and the other coaches and the players made that happen. And that's, that's a certainly a lasting memory for me. And it helped shape and mold sheets, my, my future and what I wanted to do. And, and I, I really believe that, you know, in the concept that timing's everything, yes. certainly you have to you know, you have to, it's so important, you have to be able to do the work and you have to be qualified, you have to deliver results, but, you know, I went out and pitched for a year in the Phillies organization, I'm forever grateful to Mm -hmm. uh, the Phillies for giving me that opportunity, but the reality is I was an average guy when I looked to my right and I saw Scott Rowland playing third base and he was 18 years old Mm -hmm. and I I looked to my left and saw other guys that were throwing 93, (laughs) 95 miles an hour and here I was was this undersized right-handed pitcher that was throwing the ball at 88. You know, I, I, in the offseason, they actually uh, changed head coaches at Creighton, and Todd Winberg, who became the coach after Jim Hendry had left, well, he, he moved along in his life, and uh, a gentleman by the name of Jack Dom uh, mm-hmm. took the head coaching job at Creighton, and he hired me as the pitching coach there at Creighton in the off-season. and I decided to no longer be a player. And, you know, had I not done that, I don't know if I would be sitting here today at That's the University right. of Virginia. So I am forever grateful, Sheets, to, to Jack Dom for taking a chance on a 22-year-old guy that had never been a coach. Right. And I think there's great lessons in that, in that, you know, I think a lot of times when we're hiring people, we can start to think that, well, does he have the experience or not? Right, mm-hmm. and nobody has the experience sheets until they until have you it, get it. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> right. You know, I, I, you know, one of the, you know, quotes that all always remembered. I used to hear Jim Hendry say all the time that you know we never had any experience, you know, landing on the moon until we landed on the moon. <laughs> That's it. Right. I mean, at some point, at some point, you have to do it. Yeah, and so you know, Jack, I, I think it comes down to the qualities that somebody has and can they do the job, then they'll, they'll gain the experience. That's right. And so I'm, from, I'm always, you know, um, thankful for Jack to take a chance on me and, and, um, you give me an opportunity at 22 years old to be the pitching coach at Creighton. So I was, I was with Jack for, for one year as the, as the pitching coach there. And boy, I, I grew up a lot in that one year, and that was a challenging year, Sheets, because, mm-hmm. you know, these guys that I was coaching, and I was their pitching coach, I was living with them yeah. the year before as a, as a player. It's an interesting dynamic. And, yeah, and so, you know, that line can be really, really mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. Right, and I'll never forget we were playing at the University of Minnesota when they had the tournament in the Metrodome, mm-hmm. and we were playing in that opening tournament that weekend. And I was the pitching coach, and we lost a tough game on Sunday, and I was furious as the coach. And I went into the locker room, and the guys are all showering in the locker room, and they, you know, they're all hooting and hollering like we had just won the World Series, sure. but we lost the game, mm-hmm. you know. And and I I walked into that shower, and I regrettably, you know, yeah. through a water cooler, not at anybody, but in the shower, Proving started a point. screaming at them. Yeah. That, that winning important and mm-hmm. it's got to matter more to you. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget those guys turning to me and looking at me saying, Hey, Oak, you know, you were just living with us last year, yeah. you know, and that was a tough, that was a tough year, yeah. but it was an important year in my development as a coach. And then, you know, after that year, I, 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 I'm, thankful that Paul Maneri, he was hired as the new head coach at Notre Dame and uh he offered me the pitching coach job at Notre Dame when I was 23 years old and uh I was there for 9 years and and uh what a blessing what a joy because let me tell you Paul Maneri is one of those very very rare gems Salt in our baseball that oh well yeah. you know i mean he's an unbelievable geez, he's an unbelievable uh uh, game day manager, mm-hmm. as far as like just dis- making decisions on the field. Mm-hmm. And that comes from, ex- you know, years of being in a dugout with his father and sure. over the years and, and then him being in a dugout, he's really, really special at those things, but even better, he's an unbelievable manager of people and a manager of an organization that does things the right way. So mm-hmm. I learned all of those things from him in the 9 years that i was there you know of how to run a top notch classy program and do it the right way sure. and that's what i i learned uh from paul minery and then i was I, w- I was fortunate to at the age of 32 for craig little page the athletic director here at that time to offer me the head coaching job here at the university of virginia at 32 and and have been here ever since and it's been an incredible experience building this program and and then building it and you know everything that goes into keeping it at a very very high level and it's just um you know really fortunate that we've been here that period of time and uh that it's that it's worked out and Mm. i've had some really great loyal assistants here and you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in my office right now as we're talking, overlooking the stadium of our field here. and We just this last year went through a $19 million stadium upgrade here in our stadium and just really, really proud of what we've been able to do here. So good.
1: Thanks for opening that up. There's just, I mean, packed full of takeaways. And and I had a couple of chill moments that I'm coming right back to. And in this question of talking about the early years, I think I know this answer because I, I know your character enough. And obviously uh, you can hear it through the airwaves here, but, you know your motivation to get into coaching and follow the impact that coach hendry had on you personally so certainly challenging you and motivating you and bringing the best out of you you know i'd like to think that that's what like you mentioned earlier that's what motivated you to to choose coaching as a possible career now as you get into it and you've got the pressures that come with being a coach at notre dame and then the pressures that come with building virginia and then once you've built it Maintaining that, which you've done a fantastic job of, we'll get to in a second. My assumption is that your motivation hasn't changed, but I bet it's been challenged when you when you think about mm-hmm. collecting wins and keeping yourself atop. Am I dead on on that?
0: You are, sheets. Okay. I mean, you're you're exactly right. It's it's been majorly challenged, sure. You know, and so um, when we came here 15 years ago, we were charged with the challenge of. You know, changing the culture, changing people's thought process, mm-hmm. and I'm not just—I'm not just talking players. I'm talking the entire community. That's I'm talking right. the university. Mm-hmm. I'm talking the athletic department. To, to everybody, change their perspective of how they're looking at this baseball program, and mm-hmm. and that we can accomplish greatness. But certainly, you know, um, you're you're challenged as a as a coach as your career moves along. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at, when I came here when I was 32 years old, I thought. You know, it can accomplish anything. You was know, it's full of energy and just uh, going to impact the world, That's impact right. this program, and all that. And you, you never lose that, no. right? Uh-huh. I mean, you never lose your desire and your energy for for greatness. But what you, you know, but it but it changes and it's tweaked. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, came, I I came here at thirty two with you know my wife and I with these two, you know, this daughter and this just born child, and you know now here it is today. In three weeks, I'm taking my old, old daughter off to co- off to college, and I got one that's a rising junior, and I got a boy that's, you know, 12 years old. And think through that, and through your through development of your program and your family, mm-hmm. things change, and there and there's there's changes that you, that you have to make. Um, you know, there's certain ways that uh, you could coach players 15, 20 years ago that you can't do today. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they're just different learners, mm-hmm. you know, because everything's at their fingertips now, That's right. right? And so how you get to them in today's day and age, and, and, and we can get more on this later, mm-hmm. is and how you get to that relationship piece with your players is so vitally important. And then, you know, as, as, a, as a coach, and as you go on, you know, things, your contract changes, now you're making more money than you've ever made before. Mm-hmm. Now you win a national championship and everybody, you know, everybody feels like if you don't go to Omaha, that you're underachieving yeah. and handling those things with your own players yeah. is a challenge with mm-hmm. your coaching staff, with your fans. But it's those challenges sheets that, that, that I, that I love and I look forward to, um, oh, you know, each game. and every year. That's so so awesome.
1: Um, you know, you're mentioning Coach Maneri and Coach Hendry, and you had a, just the, the absolute pleasure to go coach USA Baseball with those guys this year and and serve as the pitching coach. And I just want you, if you could, um, take us into the dugout in terms of that experience. Being, being around those two guys, it, you know, it's just a it would be a dream come true for any coach and certainly the impact they've had on you personally that had to make that so surreal but then again dealing with some of the best of the best players from around the country take us in the dugout with that and then just go into working with Paul and working with Jim and seeing them in that element I've heard some pretty good some funny uh, stories come from Paul in terms of Jim trying to make him laugh in the middle of the game and things like that 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 hopefully you can open up for us
0: you know about a couple years ago Paul you know Paul Maneri and I talk all the time Mm -hmm. and he's He's one of the, the you know, my real, real mentors, you know, really my largest mentor in my coaching career. So him and I are constantly talking and have been since I left Notre Dame 15 years ago. And he had told me a couple of years ago, after he had been the an assistant coach with the US Collegiate National Team, that at some point that he wanted to be the manager. And if he was selected as the manager, that he wanted me to consider being an assistant coach and being his pitching coach. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, so I, you know, absolutely Paul, whenever yeah. you get the chance to do that, you consider know, it, I'm uh... on and, and yeah. And look forward to it. And, um, you know, there's part of me that look forward to it from the standpoint of, you know, Carl Kuhn's our pitching coach here and he does a masterful job, yes. but you know, you know, it, it actually takes me back to my roots when I got into coaching I was dealing with those pitchers every day and calling a game and things like that. So, uh, that part of it was really cool and individually rewarding for me, but, mm-hmm. you know, to be in the dugout with my two, other than my father, the two biggest mentors in my life, mm-hmm. Jim Hendry and Paul Maneri was, uh, was special. You know, um, it was quite frankly, it was emotional for me yeah. Pete, that, yeah. uh, to look into my right and left and see these two guys that, uh, made such a powerful impact on the way I think Mm -hmm. and the way I talk to players and how this program's run was, was awesome. Um, and and as well, Cliff Godwin from East Carolina was on our staff and Cliff's one of the best. He's tremendous. And, and George Perez, who's the head coach at St. Thomas Mm -hmm. university was on our staff as well. And so the collection, the group of us was a lot of fun. and, And, uh, uh, Paul Paul just made it so in, enjoyable. He he ran that, organization, that team for three weeks uh, really, really well, and I think the kids had a great time, and we certainly had a lot of experience. But, you know, Jim Hendry was the key guy in this yeah. thing, okay, yeah. because, you know, he's just, I, I, I forgot. You know, it had been, <laughs> you know, 27 years since I had played for him. Mm-hmm. I, you know, although we've kept in very, very close contact and have had a a long-standing relationship. Um, you know, I just forgot how funny he was in the, <laughs> the dugout, you know? And so he was the guy that, you know, that kept things light with the players, mm-hmm. uh, start, you know, had some serious conversations. But, you know, he, he was somebody that was able to connect with the players that were wearing our uniform in a different way that really – that I don't see people being able to do. And that's one of Jim's really – special gifts and a, in a, and I, it reminded me of, of it as I played for him, you know, sure. it, it's just, he's got an uncanny ability to be able to connect with young people and talk to them and get them to feel comfortable and confident to go out there and perform at the highest level. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, there would be a lot of tense moments. I mean, every game we played sheets with the with the team, the Japanese team was one run, you know, with yes. one to nothing, two yeah. to one, three to two, you know, <laughs> and Jim Hendry's always the guy that would keep a light in the dugout. Or he'd say some wisecrack during the game that would keep everything loose. You know, so some cool. of them, I'm not at liberty to yeah, share, on we're gonna keep those. Path, but <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, but, um, you know, we, we, we had a lot of fun and it's just, um, and, but we had a lot of success too. So it was a great time as, as a great reunion for us. That's so cool.
1: You know, I, I try to measure myself. I say this on the podcast every once in a while, just measure myself in, in the days that we, that we have by the amount of times that you get chill bumps, that the hair stands up in a, in a conversation. And I've, I've had that yeah. happen twice so far. So when you're talking about huh. how emotional that is for you, I mean, I, as a listener, you can just imagine the right and the left, the view from your standpoint of man, the men that have really uh, charged you to get in coaching period, but then have really groomed you the way that they have, and without them, we probably aren't having this conversation, coach. And that that's that's reality. That's what brings it brings it all back, makes it real. I got to go into this, and, and you just—I'm going to do it for you because I know how sometimes it can be tough to, to really express what's going on in your own program. But when you think about winning the 2015 national championship I and mean, what a series that was, what a run that team was special—you know, four college World Series appearances, two in the finals, uh, 14 straight NCAA tournament appearances, seven straight regionals championships, two ACC championships, 40-50 win seasons, and then obviously just what you guys have done inside that program, making it a perennial power. You know, when you think about your time at UVA and what's gone on there and and you and your staff have done a tremendous job building a championship program. I want to go back to 2003 when you took over and what did the program look like? You mentioned changing the dynamic around the community, changing the impression that the baseball program was going to have on the athletic department as a whole. When you think back to that and you really dive deep, what did it look like? What did it feel like, especially when you look back at what you built? But who was that thirty-two-year-old head coach? What did that dude still need to learn that that you laugh about now when you think about?
0: Uh, well, I know it's a long. Yeah, there, there's a lot in there, but, that, <laughs> yeah. but that's good, and, and and we'll get to it. There's mm-hmm. some, there's some great stuff in here, you know. But um, uh, you know, we uh, well, first of all, one of one of the best decisions that I ever made when I. Uh, was given this opportunity to was to hire the two men mm-hmm. that were going to flank me in, in this effort here at Virginia. And that was Kevin McMullen, who I'd hired from the Atlanta Braves. And he had pre- previously been an assistant coach at East Carolina and, mm-hmm. and St. John's and other places. And, and, uh, and Carl Kuhn, who had come to us from Arkansas, Little Rock uh, to, you know, to, to work together to, uh, Developed this program. And, you know, they were two guys that were really, really hungry and really wanted this opportunity to, to change and, 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 and make a difference. And when I had looked at this program uh, sheets and decided, okay, is this the right opportunity to leave the University of Notre Dame? Mm-hmm. As I continued to look at it and dissect it, I really felt like at that time in 2003 that this was one of the few sleeping giants Mm. that hasn't really been tapped into. Sure. You know, and there's just, and every year there's, there's fewer and fewer of them. Mm -hmm. And so here was a place that bounces between the number one or two ranked public institutions in the country. Mm -hmm. It was in a unbelievable baseball conference. The, the quality of the baseball in our state is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, they had just the year prior to this had built a brand new $5 million stadium. Uh, So you start to connect the dots with all those things and you start to say, Hey, this could really be something. And then, you know, when I, when I met with the athletic administration here about what they wanted to try to accomplish, it got me really, really excited. And I, I felt like, geez, it it can, it can be done here at the university Mm -hmm. of Virginia. And so we took over. And when I, you know, when we started fall practice before we did, I dissected, you know, the last couple of years. And the year prior to the actually two thousand and three season, our first year was in two thousand and four Yeah, the, the Virginia team had lost fourteen games by one run. Wow. And we had a lot of the same personnel coming back. Yeah. You know, they had they had had about twenty nine wins. And so I sat there and said, you know, I told our set. If we can turn half of those one-run loss, Swing them around. If we, can, if, we, if we swung seven of those, mm-hmm. we're an NCAA tournament team. That's right. Right? So, you know, it was, you know, the change of the environment and things was touched every facet. The the, the fans, the, the community, how people were going to view and think of Virginia baseball. And, it, and that had to start with the players. And mm-hmm. I can tell you this in, it, in its simplicity to keep it short is, you know, we walked in and you talked to the players, they were willing to do whatever it it takes, Mm. right. They were willing to work. They were willing to sacrifice to be as successful as they could possibly be. And fortunately that year, we started our first year in 2004, we started off and had the greatest start to a season in Virginia baseball history. And we've had baseball in this program for a hundred years. (laughs) And, um, you know The opening weekend of conference play, we went to Georgia Tech and won all three games at Georgia Tech and the University of Virginia had never done that. And then two weeks later, we slept Clemson for three games. And these players were starting to look at each other like, yeah. holy cow. Let's do this. These guys, they, they weren't lying to us. Yeah, right. They were telling us that if, if we did this stuff, mm. that we would be successful. Yeah. Well, we ended up hosting a regional that year in our stadium and this and that. Now, I gotta be honest, Sheets, when you go back and look at the this the stats yeah. on that team, there were three big leaguers on our infield. Right. Mark 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 Reynolds was our shortstop, who's mm-hmm. with the Washington Nationals right now. Ryan Zimmerman was our third baseman. That was the left side of our yeah. infield. Okay. They were gonna be okay. And then our, yeah, and our first baseman was Joe Kishansky, who made it to the big leagues, and that year he was the ACC Player of the Year. Wow. So, I don't, I don't know how much we really did because, quite <laughs> frankly, if you judge it by our infield, we were loaded up pretty good for talent. Don't
1: give me the cupboard was bare. So, don't give me that.
0: <laughs> no, no, you know, and so it's, it, uh, you know, it, it it was a very verbal, memorable memorable year. But what mm-hmm. we did is we set the tone for what our expectations were going to be every day when those players hit the field and what they were going to do off the field and how they were going to represent this university and this baseball program. And we wouldn't let them budge from that. And so what happens is, and this is, I I think, a key part of building a program is certainly consistency and staying with it on what the fabric and the foundation is of a program. But then what happens is, they have a great experience, and they feel it cheats. And then what happens is then they they pass it on down to the next group. That's it. And then they pass it on to the next group. And it just has this snowball effect. A lot of people t- talk about a snowball effect in a negative way. This is a snowball effect in a positive yes. way that it just builds momentum. And the, the new players come in, and the veteran players that have been around say, hey, that's not how we do things around here. Yeah. You know, yeah. now, the important key component is you got to have success mm-hmm. and then it snowballs, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I don't remember all the questions that you asked me. Hopefully that answered some of them. <laughs> I, I'm,
1: I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to let you walk away from that without the second part. Just who, who were you yeah. as, as that young 32-year-old? What, what's, what are the things now, Brian, when you look back, you're like, wow, like I walked into that one or, you know, I really need to learn that. Open that up.
0: Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I had a lot of I had a lot of dark hair at that time, and now it's white. So um, you've aged well, my friend. My, my, yeah, my wife will tell you I was a lot better looking. So, um, but uh, you know, no, it, I, I was just I, I wasn't real. Um, I was kind of like certainly we were organized and things, but there was so much energy and 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 whatnot. A lot of it was just kind of off the cuff of what I knew and Mm -hmm. what I had learned over the years. Mm -hmm. And when I started to slow it down a little bit and do a little bit more thoughtful planning, um, but that, that was, that was part of it. But I'll tell you the biggest thing, and this wasn't necessarily from the first year I would, you know, I would say this was over my first five years is I wanted to win so bad as a coach and the other coaches Mm -hmm. did too. That we were like really, really intense and uptight yep. all of the time, right? And sure. you, you feel like we wouldn't let the players breathe. You know, we yep. wanted to win so bad, right? And I'm not going to apologize for that, right? Um, and, but what I learned over the years is that as the season progresses and the groundwork is laid and we've done what we can do to kind of, gear back a little bit. And the rules don't change. The expectations yeah. don't change. We still got to be here on time and we still yeah. got to run balls out. to, but, but like kind of relax and let them play a little bit. Mm. And I, you know, I had forgotten that Coach Maneri, I had learned that from him, <laughs> but I forgot it when I came here because I was so consumed with winning. Yeah. And I was so consumed that this is my livelihood and this is my job that I forgot to slow down and enjoy it. And then once we, I really believe once we started to learn that as a coaching staff, you know, um, I remember people telling me, you know, like in 2014 and 15, when we were playing the national championship series and we were playing in Omaha, people would say, geez, I watched you on TV and watching the dugout. You look like you're comatose. You know, you look like you're just like, just relaxed as can be. And I wasn't that way at, at 32. (laughs)
1: Sure. Okay.
0: And it's something that it's something that over the years, I learned Mm -hmm. that at that time of the year at championship time, if you're yelling and screaming at the players, they have no shot to perform in that arena. That's right. You know, and, and uh, you know, it's amazing. Sometimes we as coaches, you know, we can say to players, Hey, you, how, you can talk about how important poise is, mm-hmm. okay? But I'll never forget that player that turned to me that one day and said, Coach, you talk to us all the time about having poise and having this poker face? Where's yours? Yeah, show us. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> and so now we all have slip ups now and then, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you, that 32-year-old never-been head coach that took this job was intense and wide open and you know thought we could accomplish everything and wasn't extreme you know just was going to just try things at times rather than really thoughtful and saying okay how's this going to go and those are things that I've learned over the years through, through trial and error, really. <laughs> That's it. Well,
1: I'll tell you what, the transparency yeah. is beyond appreciated, certainly personally, because I live that as well as, as a coach, getting consumed with yeah. the intensity. But I think a lot of coaches fall in that trap. And I had a great conversation a couple of weeks ago, and he really summed it up perfectly. I think at times we forget how hard the game is. You know, like the, the game's not easy. That's why, you know, very few continue to play as they move up the ranks. But especially on the level that you're coaching at, the game's hard, man, and if we keep that in perspective, uh, it is. It is a way to, to step back a little bit and let them just play the game. If we're adding to it, usually it's adding negatively. So step back, stay out of their way, and let them play. It, there's a lot to be taken from that. There is sheets, but it's
0: at the right time, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, you know, when we're, when we're in fall practice and then things aren't going, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a very very fine line mm-hmm. of letting the reins go and, and and things, and then. Also accountability, right? Yes. Holding people accountable to a certain standard. That's so right. uh, it's a t- we all struggle with it as coaches, you know, and uh, we we ne- we never we never end out fully having it figured out. and That's <laughs> part of the reason coaching is so great. That's it. Yeah, uh,
1: you know, you're going into Carl and Mac, and we've got to spend just a little bit of time, pay some homage, and and two guys that. I think any assistant coach would look up to those guys and respect what they've been able to do and and how you've been able to keep this staff together. I mean, you're, you might be one of the most blessed guys in the country in that you guys, that dynamic has got to be just so fruitful in terms of you all know each other on levels that most coaching staffs will never get to because they're only together for a few years. So if you want to talk, go into more depth about Carl and Mac, what they bring to the table, and just the dynamics inside the relationships that you do have.
0: Well, I I just feel so fortunate that they've uh, been, like I said, right by my side for the last 15 years. And they're both tremendous men and, and great educators, great teachers. And, um, you know, they, they, they want to win, they want to win championships. And I think those are part of the reasons that they are still assistant coaches here at the university of of Virginia is they want to, they really want to compete at the highest level. And they're really, really good at, at what they do. And, you know, th- this has been a a, a process for us. Um, I believe currently today, I could be wrong about this, but I, uh, but I think I'm correct that we're the longest tenured coaching staff together in Division One college baseball. Yeah. And going into our our sixteenth season, and uh, you know, there's there's been some certainly tough and challenging moments. You know, that uh, uh, have challenged us. You know, individually and and then and as as a group, but. I'll, I'll say this, when you have really good people, sheets. I don't care what organization you're a part of, whether it be coaching or you're running a business or uh, whatever, or you're, you're running a school and you're talking about teachers and administrators and things that, mm-hmm. you know, if you have really, really good people that you feel are great for the organization and can help you be successful, you got to do what you can within reason to try to keep that together. Sure. All right. Because uh, you don't know what's going to, what's going to happen in the future. And, and that's what's happened. Carl and Kevin are, are exceptional at what they do. They're exceptional at recruiting. They're exceptional at player development. They're good. They're really great family men. They both have children that are uh, similar ages as, as mine. And our, both of our, all of our families have, we've grown up here in Charlottesville. This is home. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but uh, they do a terrific job. Uh, in recruiting player development um, and it's been a blessing to have them together uh, with me the whole time and a lot of times we we, we know what each other are thinking right yes, um, yes. and to have and to have the continuity and player development and and recruiting is uh, is really really important I think that's the biggest factor she, in, in us being consistently successful over a long period of time is is that continuity. And so uh, nobody knows when it's going to end. It'll end at some point. Um, and, uh, you know, change is good. And sometimes it, it, uh, it'll it happen. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to try to keep this thing together as, as long as it uh, possibly can. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: I got to, before we move on to the, the real staples inside our Dugout Chatter episodes, I, I want to give you an opportunity to really talk about what your players are brought to your program and really enhanced the, in essence, the perspective and the viewpoint that they now have that that's certainly more global than so focused on just baseball. And he has had an opportunity to bring in a special member of your team, Mr. Parker Staples. I'm going to let you open that up.
0: We had a young boy just over the mountain from, from Waynesboro that uh, that, that joined our team last spring. And I don't know if other, other coaches are aware out there about a, an organization called Team Impact. Uh, they're a national organization. There is a number of college baseball players or college baseball programs that have a, an addition to their team through, to, through Team Impact. And, you know, I, I've, I've been aware for a number of years about their organization and uh, what, what Team Impact does, she says, they connect a college athletic team with an individual somewhere in the community or in the surrounding community uh, that is potentially going through a, you know, a challenging time, you know, uh, it could potentially be a, a, a chronic illness or say a serious illness that, um, you know, and what this team impact does through this connection it you know, it, it forms, you know, long, lifelong bonds and, and hopefully changing outcomes, you know, are. The, the the young boy 9 year old boy uh, John Parker Staples that that joined our team uh, you know he's a, he's a young kid that um, you know had had recently been diagnosed with a life th- threatening disease and uh lymph- lymphoma in 2017 and he had worked his way through that and had um, uh, been uh, cured and, and it was on the way, uh, of, uh, uh, being successful. And so it was a great connection. Uh, this was all driven cheats by our, by our players. So cool. Um, it was nothing they, they came to me and said, coach, we'd, we'd really like to do this. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a powerful day for our guys, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, Hey, our, our guys play in a beautiful stadium. They're at a great university. Uh, so many college baseball players across this country are so fortunate and you know when you see a young person like this that has has many challenges in life and but has the strength and the courage to to persevere through it and to see his eyes when he sits at this table with our entire team around him and we announce that he is signed to be a member of our program and he puts on that jersey and his hat and to see his face light up, oh. and to see when he comes over to practices or games and things like that, um, you know, he just went out the other day with a couple of our players, and they went to Dave and Buster's down in <laughs> down in Richmond. And yeah. you know, you think about your you're nine or ten year old boy; these guys are your your heroes, There's your idols. Doubt. So I, I encourage any teams out there that you know to look that up and the the impact that it can you know, make on a young person, your community, but also it can make an impact on the 35 young year old young men mm. that you have in your locker room too. So we're really excited that he's a part of our organization. It's
1: outstanding. There's a great piece that came up on social media. And uh, I told coach O'Connor, I felt like we needed to address this for any coach out there thinking of, of really doing something bigger than the game, not only for, a child and making an impact on his life, but for your players and doing something much bigger, we had to address that. You can find that on social media. Go th- go through UVA baseball and and uh, their Twitter account. You'll be able to find that video and you get to hear from the players and how it impacted them. You know, we talked about who you were as a young coach, and I think that's great. I want to go in more into the the growth as a leader. You know, a person that's got to stand in front of you know 35, 18 to twenty two year olds, and you've got to challenge them. You've got to love them. You've got to uh, get into them a little bit at times, but you've got to grow them up. You're taking them on a journey from being an 18 year old young man. And when they leave your program around, you've got to have them either prepared for professional baseball or they got to be prepared to go crush life. How have you really grown in that space?
0: Well, it's, it's, uh, you know, certainly it's, it's continuing to evolve sheets over the years. Um, you know, at, at, at at 32, quite frankly, I, I, I did with the players and handled it the way that Coach Maneri did because I, he was <laughs> such a great example. I just, I just stole all of his stuff, you know. Uh, but, uh, you no, know, but um, you know, it's 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 a huge responsibility, you know. You think um, of having of being a parent that has a child going off to college, you know, and, and the parents of the young people that are coming to play in our baseball program. They look at us as, as coaches and me, as the leader, as the, as the caretaker of their son. I mean, ultimately their son has to make their own decisions in life. Right. Uh, I meant not at the dorms every night at 12 o'clock, making sure they're coming home. Right. (laughs) They've got to, you know, they've got to make their, their own decisions to kind of chart their path in life. But, you know, I'm, I'm here as, as the caretaker of that. And it's a, huge responsibility. And so, um, you know, what I've learned over the years that of the importance of, of, of the, of the relationships of the one-on-one relationship, right. And, and the, that you got to take time to do it and you got to, you know, uh, uh, you know, when I, when I played for Jim Hendry, I, I, I never wanted to let that guy down because I knew he was totally invested in me as a player. And I knew that, uh, you know, he cared a lot about me and that's what I try to do every day with our players to show, show them that we're there for them, that we care about them, them as, as players and then helping them improve and develop. So they're prepared in professional baseball, um, as they move on. But whenever that ends, or if it doesn't happen, that they're, they're prepared for life, that they're ready to be successful and contribute to society, whether it be as a father and the role model that they are, whether it be in business or whatever profession they choose. And, you know, I, I think it, in order to be successful as a leader in that, in that space and in this position is you, you gotta, I mean, you gotta be calm, right? You mm-hmm. gotta, you gotta be mature and you have to be calm. And uh, there's, you know, I tell our guys when they come in as, 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 freshmen, and I have my first meeting with them that I'll have in about three weeks you know, and I talk to them about how important it is to communicate, and you know how I have to know what's going on. And I and I tell them, hey, listen. And, and being in coaching for for 25 years, trust me, man. I've I've heard everything, yeah. right? So yeah. um, I, I I I I I I'm here for you, right? And we're we're your support system here. That's going to help you take this next crucial crucial step. In their life, and I and I think it's the most important step that that you know their their development as people from the age of eighteen to twenty two years old is vital, and uh, the way that they think and you know and I know it is because I know that that period of time impacted me, so it's it's a huge responsibility. It's something that I take uh, really really um, uh, I, I, I take it really really serious and. Um, and, and actually, really, really loved that part of it. She mm-hmm. said uh, that responsibility of, of leading young men uh, into the future.
1: Um, you mentioned earlier talking about being challenged and and certainly coaching today's players is is different society's different. Their, their access to information is different. Uh, we've seen the game change from a technology standpoint, from a a language and term standpoint, and and certainly all philosophies, like you mentioned, there's always going to be the base of Of traditional ways to win baseball games those will never go away but just some of the dynamics inside that and again more importantly the information that players have uh, has has really challenged coaches just to really grow up adapt or die and i'm just interested in a question that just gets so many great responses from is one that as you viewed the game and maybe it was even the summer with usa or the last couple seasons at uva when you've been able to sit back and really watch the game can you pinpoint some moments or happenings that really challenged you and went, you know what? We could teach that differently. I could be better at that. That's something we need to address for our team. Can you pinpoint anything for us?
0: Well, I, th- I think, she I think we're at a really, really interesting time in our game. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, uh, the, the core, base, fundamental part of our game, I, I hope will never change and hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. But in, within that game, how we're getting players better, how we're connecting with players, I'm talking generally in the sport of baseball, has changed immensely in 15 years that I've been the coach here. And again, I'm sitting at our stadium looking out at the field, and, and I look to my left 30 yards away from here, and here's a, here's the track man that's yes. at our stadium, <laughs> right, that charts every ball that, that is in the air, in space, right, in our stadium. <laughs> And how much the ball rotates. And, and just sitting down and spending the time to try to learn what all that information is and yes. what it truly means yes. is really, really deep. And then and, how to coach it. Is it. Yeah. And <laughs> is it too much? Yeah. Right? Uh, some of it's too much, in my opinion. And I'm more old school that way. But there is information that is given to us that is really powerful and can help. You know, I'm also looking at six high definition cameras that are stationed in our, in our stadium that capture everything from six different angles that our players do on the field. And it's set to a video room and put in a player's file so they can learn and grow as a player. Mm. Right. And so those, those cameras weren't here five years ago. <laughs> right. It's just, you know, and but the thing is I think we have to be careful about is there can be too much information yeah. that we forget that it's about competing. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, that pitcher versus batter, you know, competition. It's about the small nuances of the game. So, you know, I don't ever want to lose that part of it and, and we won't in our game, but I'll say this. If you don't keep up with what's going on out there, think about arm care and heavy balls and all this different stuff that are be, be, being done with, pitchers and, and throwers nowadays that were, were not even conversations 15 years ago. That's right. And so if you as a coach don't continue to sharpen your saw and listen and see what's online and talk to people, you, you're going to get passed. You might get passed by in player development. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what you're also going to get passed by at this level is, is recruiting.
1: That's it. You know,
0: because there's so much stuff out there that you've got to keep up with what is really best for us. So mm-hmm. I would say that that kind of stuff, the the video age and the, the track man rap Soto kind of thing is certainly something that we have t- taken on here at Virginia. You know, the analytics part of the game, although our sample size is nowhere near what it is, the major leagues, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, college baseball in the last three or four years, how it's evolved from moving infielders and then. You know, uh, hey, the books are out there on Gays. The guys nowadays, next year, this next season, every ACC game that an ACC team plays is going to be on television. So if you don't study that information Mm -hmm. and put your players where it's the high percentage chance that they're going to hit the ball, we're at a disadvantage. So I would say that piece of it, technology, that area, you have to keep up with and and we have here at Virginia. And then the last thing I would I would say, cheats, is is the communication with the player. And I'm still trying to figure this out. I mean, Mm -hmm. the player hasn't changed and I'm sorry, I don't believe in people stand there, you know, at the pulpit and say, kids are different nowadays. Right. right. Sure. Every everything's different nowadays. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, we're playing in larger stadiums that we played before. College coaches are getting paid more than they ever have before. Everything's different Mm -hmm. than it was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. All right? Well, so are kids a little bit. All right? But coaching is figuring out how do we connect with them. Right? And they have an ability now, as young players, that if they hear something on the field, they can go then watch videos at night to see how 20 other people are teaching it. Right? And so you it can be a scary time as a coach, but you have to you have to be well informed and you have to get in with your players and develop a relationship for them to understand and believe what they are being taught every day if you want to be successful. If you don't If you don't in today's day and age, because they're all really, really informed, Mm -hmm. right? They all come to you now with some kind of pitching program or some kind of strength and conditioning program that they've done in high school. Right? Twenty years ago (laughs) That was not the case. (laughs) Nobody had it, right? So you gotta be you gotta be informed. And so those those are some of the areas that I think that things have changed inside the game that um you know, we, we've got to keep up with his coaches. That's right.
1: That last little bit, Brian, I'm hearing commit to being a lifelong learner, commit to always trying to consume and get better. And I'm hearing let relationships yeah. drive your bus. Yes. That's what I'm hearing. That's awesome. And and we loved when those points come out.
0: Well, it has to be, I mean, everything, once we start not having the relationships, you're going to have a tough time. I, a- I I think, you know, it, it, it the players got to know you're invested. The player's got to know that you care about them, mm-hmm. right? And caring a lot of times is saying the tough things too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's like it's, it's no different than parenting. You know, uh, I tell people all the time. You know, I, I've got my wife and I have three at home, and I've got 35 here. Um, and <laughs> that's that's the way you have to look at that's it. That's right.
1: Oh man, I'm I'm so excited to ask you this question. I can't wait for you to expand upon when you think about. How do you, Brian O'Connor? How do you define success? How do you measure yourself against success? What does that look like in between your ears?
0: Uh, really, just a challenging uh, question that I think we all deal with mm-hmm. uh, in our own personal lives and, and also in coaching. Is you know I, we live in a world anymore, sadly, that you know is measured by wins and losses and championships in a, in a lot of people's eyes, and that that's and that's very, very dangerous. Okay. But, um, you know, really from a, from our team's standpoint, okay. Um, in our program standpoint, what I want to know each and every year and what I strive to do is first, are, are we growing and improving, mm-hmm. right? Are we, are we getting better every day? Right. Uh, and, and I know that's an old coach cliche is, hey get better every day but it's so true because if we don't if we don't grow and develop and learn and get better every day and and learn from our successes and our failures well then we can throw goals and stuff out the window Mm -hmm. i mean we might as well not even have them uh so you know you know i think that but how i define success is are we really uh maximizing our opportunity are we really maximizing our ability based on our talent level? Mm-hmm. you know our, our talent level is different every year mm-hmm. from one year to the next right. some years we return a really really talented club and some years we're we're short in some areas but how do we take those shortfalls and make other things more strengths and to try to make up and make it the best experience we can have in that given year. Oh, wow. And um, you know, even though even though our you know our goals are to win a national championship every year, most every year we're gonna fall short of it. It's only yeah. happened one time in our 100, 120 year history <laughs> right. of our baseball program. <laughs> right? And I think that's dangerous. Yeah. I think it's dangerous if you measure yourself by whether you get to Omaha or not. Yeah. We all know that's a goal. We all know that's what we strive for. Yep. But in the end we've got to step back and assess, did we did we maximize our opportunity or, uh, you know, our season for what we had. Mm-hmm. And so that's how, that's how I, how I measure whether or not we had success in a given year. And overall for our program sheets is, you know, in the end, are we sending out there tremendous young men that are going to be successful and make positive contributions out there? That's right. right? Um, you do those things, you'll win the games that are commensurate with what your ability level is. You
1: know, I uh, just laughing, just thinking about Coach Garrido, who again, was a, a past podcast guest. And Augie was going through, you know, he's got five national championships, man. I, you know, he's just won all the time. And you think, well, then also, you know, for 49 years in the dugout, they didn't win it 44 times. So do you look at those years as, as not successful campaigns? No, they're, they're all individual. It's all relative to that team. And again, your sentiment about bringing it back to, did we maximize the ability that we had inside our locker room and measuring by that, I think is a great way to run it. Um, I want to open this up, man. And Brian, I'm interested to see almost the pull back the curtain moment we call it on the show, where you talk about your daily habits or routines, things that you do each day that get you prepared to go lead the Cavaliers, and then also maybe resources you would share, uh, books and podcasts, things like that that have really helped you that you would offer to coaches paying attention to the show.
0: Well, uh, that, that's a that's a that's a great question, Sheets, and uh, you know I, I think if if we're all honest with each other, we're always looking and saying. Hey, could I do a better job? Mm-hmm. Right. Could I, mm-hmm. there's some, there's some habits and things that we all have that maybe we wish we didn't have, right. Or yeah. that we could improve on, or we could, you know, I think we're always grinding to figure out, Hey, what are better routines I can have for, to be even more efficient and mm-hmm. successful. Right. And <laughs> so, um, you know, there's, uh, but what, what my, mine for me, because, you know, you, you have a family at home. That um, uh, certainly you're responsible for. Uh, it, it, in my case, and then you know, uh, th- running a college baseball program at this level is a a significant undertaking. So for me, if for me it starts with if I am not organized from day to day, mm-hmm. I have no shot to be <laughs> successful in this right. thing. There's just too many. There's there's too many things going on, mm-hmm. right? You've got the you've got the players. You got you're raising money for, for a stadium. You have, you know, you have fans, you have, you know, staff members ultimately that you're responsible for. And, you know, our, 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 we have 35 players it depends on the year, but, and, and we've got, we've got 12 staff members, Yeah. you know, and so you got strength coaches and, and academic people and trainers and operations people. And so if you're, I've found that the days that I don't, make sure that my, I'm, my day's organized and I know what's going on is a miserable day for me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm always feeling like I'm behind. So one of my routines is I always the night before. Okay. Uh, you know, and I'm not perfect with this, but my effort is to be consistent on the night before really trying to, <laughs> excuse me, yep. really try to plan out in as much detail that I can of what my day and week look like in front of me. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm a, re- I'm a really big believer that if you try to plan out as much as you can, now you got to have audibles, you know, I yeah. mean, <laughs> as a college baseball coach, you've got to be able to, do, for sure. Hey, I don't have time for this or mm. this lasts longer and things like that. But being, I, I found that I wake up in the morning, I found I sleep better at night. And I wake up in the morning, ready to go, knowing what I need to do that day. If I've been thoughtful the night before to sit down and say, all right, this is, this is my day. So I'm, I'm actually a really big planner guy. right? I I mean, I'm, I'm writing in my own individual planner all the time, taking notes and uh, what I have going on that day, conversations. Um, I, I, I keep a book too, for the entire season, um, that's, uh, every day and, you know, every day other than uh, than a game day, Monday through Friday, we have a staff meeting uh, where my entire staff's together, my coaches, our video guy, our trainer, our operations person, uh, pretty much everybody involved in our program. And that meeting sometimes lasts 20 minutes, sometimes it lasts an hour and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it uh, you know, it kind of charts the, the path for us that day and and then moving forward. But for me, it starts with, you know, just making sure I'm ultra organized and because I'll tell you when, when you're a leader of organization, she's as you know, that, you know, it all of a sudden, if you don't return somebody's call, if you don't follow up with something, yes. those are things in your armor. Right. And, uh, I, I feel bad that it, 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 it took, you know, Five five days for you and I to connect about doing this podcast, <laughs> sure. you know. And uh, yeah, I just got back from Cuba, as you know. And I just yeah. trying to, I was trying to, you know, get get myself organized. But but you know that it's it's as a leader, you have responsibility. That's right. And if you're just fly by the seat of your pants, things are going to get missed. Mm-hmm. And when when that happens to me, that's when the inconsistencies start to happen. So mm-hmm. first and foremost, every day that's where it's going to, uh, uh, start for me. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, routines, I I try to, I try to put our team into a routine, uh, practice very similar time every day. Those are the things that I try to get them into because that's, that's what I'm used to. You know, um, one routine that I'm, that I'm really proud of that I, Uh, That challenges me all the time is I really try to make a conscious effort. When I get home and I put that vehicle in park, I try to the best that I can to leave the problems and the issues that I'm having in my job. I do the best I can to to leave them in that car. Mm. Now, that's challenged all the time because we get recruiting calls and things that need to be. But, you know, when you have young people at home, they, until they actually go out and have a job and they're providing for their family, they don't really understand the magnitude of what we do. That's right. Right. And, it, and they can't mm-hmm. because they've never had to do it. And so it's not fair to them to bring that in that front door. And so that's one of the things that I, I fight it all the time. And it's hard. Uh, but that's one of the things i I, I really, really tried to do to to try to separate the the two things. Mm. Um, I'll, 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 you know, there's a lot of books, yeah that I've read over the years. There's a lot of different ones, whether it be leadership or you know, from a baseball standpoint, there's just so many great ones out there. But I will tell you, uh, you know if if the listeners have have never read a book, uh, by Todd Gongler, and it's called "Lead for God's Sake." That's right. Um, if you haven't read that book <laughs> as a coach, um, I, I really, really high, highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that um, it was a—it's been very, very impactful for me. It was very, very impactful to me at a at a really challenging point in my career, and so uh, I'm grateful that. Uh, somebody tossed it in my hands and that I took the time uh, to read it. So I would, I would uh, encourage uh, the listeners out there to check that one out if they have it. That's great.
1: Open up the most humbling moment in coaching. What's the moment that you can always reflect on and man, it just, it gets you in the pit of your stomach where it really challenged you, but more importantly, it maybe inspired you to keep that perspective and bring you back down to earth.
0: Well, um, it's actually tied to the book I just told you about. Um, In in 2015, um, uh, you know, in in 14, we had just come off losing to Vanderbilt in the National Championship Series. Mm -hmm. You know, you're sitting there as a coach, you know, feeling like, geez, could we ever, do we ever get to this moment again? Yeah. Yeah. Right? And uh, we had a chance to do it, we didn't do it, and, you know, and we go into 15, and we had some good key parts back, but there was some question whether it was going to be as good of a club as, as 15, but you know, we, you know, I, as a coach, you know, you're walking around that, Hey, you played the national championship series and you've been to Omaha now three times, you know, you maybe start to thinking that you, you're pretty good and you get, you got things figured out a little bit, you know, and then all of a sudden, bam, it hits you right in the gut and you don't have it figured out. And, um, you know, all, I'll just I'll never forget when we were down at Virginia Tech playing a series during the 2015 season and um you know I I made the the biggest mistake of of my coaching career you know and uh it was in it was in middle of the March we had been beaten up quite a bit as a uh, we had a lot of injuries Right. But we were still predicted to be one of the teams in Omaha and all this kind of stuff. We still had a really good club, but we just had been decimated with injuries to our team. And I wasn't handling it real well. And so in the first game of the series down at Virginia tech, uh, I went out to challenge a play at home plate, a batter's interference play. And, uh, you know, I, I, I I made a huge mistake. And I was so out of control sheets that I, that I touched the umpire mm. and, um, it's just, it, 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 changed me and, oh, uh, I was, I was out of control. I, I, I didn't, you know, here was one of these moments that, and we're all guilty of it. and We all make mistakes and then we try to get back in line and grow and learn. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to our players about how we have to have poise and, you have to handle the ups and downs of the season. And here I was. I didn't handle it myself, and I was a terrible example to the young men wearing our uniform. And I physically touched an umpire, and I ended out getting suspended for the rest of the Virginia Tech series. Yeah. So I sat in the hotel room in Blacksburg, Virginia, the next two days and watched our team bus pull out of the hotel parking lot. Ugh. And then I had to miss the midweek game, and then I had to miss game one the next game, weekend against Florida State. And during that period of time, I had actually had a meeting in my office with the author of this book, Todd Mm Gunther, And, and, you know, it was a, you know, a, a changing moment for me and, you know, to come home and after the Virginia tech series and have to talk to my children, my own children that really don't understand what I did and to sure. have to explain it. And uh, I'll tell you the, the most unhappy person out of all of it was my wife. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because here it is, the strong man in the family that's supposed to provide a shining example to your kids. And uh, not only were I letting the 35 young men that wear our uniform down and everybody else involved with our program, I wasn't setting a great example for my own kids at home. So it was a, really uh ch- ch- coach changing life changing uh moment for me and and really the most re- regretful thing that I that that I've done on a baseball field that umpire didn't deserve that yep. okay he didn't deserve to be the brunt of my frustration so gosh I,
1: thanks for being transparent that again those are moments that our coaches appreciate i think anytime you can humanize another coach, especially one that we're going to look up to is a great moment, Brian. So we appreciate you opening that up and a couple of lighter side questions of this. Um, we want to know about hidden talents or hobbies. What's in there that, you know, maybe you want to release on the show. I mean, this could be a platform for you to really express to the world that there's some hidden talent that nobody knows about coach O'Connor, what would you offer?
0: (laughs) Uh, I can't give you, I can't give my secrets, but I don't, no, I don't, I don't know if there, (laughs) I don't know if there really is. I mean, I'll I'll tell you that, I mean, this is, you know, sad a little bit, (laughs) but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty darn consumed with my job. Sure. Okay. And, and when I'm not, I, I don't play golf. You know, I don't, you know, I I just, there's when I'm not consumed with me doing my job and leading this baseball program, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I spend time with my family, you know, and that's, that's what I do. We, we travel, we, um, you know, just try to spend as much time as we, we can together. You know, tonight I'm going to take my, my young son to baseball practice and that's a priority for me and I need to do that. And so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that as much as I can. I enjoy uh, what little limited time that I do get to have on uh, traveling with my wife, uh, who I met in high school, and you know, we've been together ever since. And uh, you know what I actually have taken up uh, in the last six or seven years is is actually hunting. That um, oh, wow. I never thought that I would. I didn't I didn't grow up in that. But my my son had really got into it. About seven years ago, uh, because one of my assistant coaches, Matt Kirby, ha- is really into it, and because my son has gotten into it, I have gotten significantly in- involved in it. So, um, you know, we we have a a a farm outside of town here that um, uh, somebody is gracious enough to plant sunflowers on, and you know, my son and I love to go out there all fall on a on a Saturday or a Sunday or even sometime in the middle of the week, and go out there and dove hunt. And there's nothing, you know, I, I love it sitting with my son, you know, and uh, dove hunting for a couple of hours is uh, just sitting there talking is, is so enjoyable, or whether it's deer in the winter or whatever it is. And it's something that him and I have really been able to spend a lot of time doing and something that it's a, it's a hobby and something I really, really enjoy. Wow. That's cool.
1: I keep, you know, the reason I ask yeah. and I probably pry a little bit, I just keep praying that one day, one of these coaches, one of you guys is going to be like a, a nationally renowned karaoke Star, and you just you travel the circuit, and you you know I just I'm praying for that moment. It'll come one of these days. Uh, we'll get there.
0: Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's not this guy. I wish I could yeah. tell you I was a really great piano player. Or oh yeah, you know, but I'm I'm actually a pretty boring guy. So.
1: <laughs> well, we appreciate who you are for sure. Um, take us into the funniest stories. I love that when we open up. You know, every coach knows what goes on in a locker room, in a dugout, uh, and with a team. Yeah. What are some of the funny stories you, that come to mind for you?
0: Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the, the, uh, there's a lot of them, but, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give you one that goes back to my first year with coach Maneri. Okay. Right. So this is, uh, you know, this is darn near 25 years ago that, um, you know, coach Maneri got the job as he he was the head coach at the Air Force Academy, got the job at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And then he hired me shortly thereafter. And so this was the end of the summer shoots. And so we, we, um, uh, you know, we hadn't had a chance to recruit all summer. So we were behind from the recruiting standpoint. So um, I went out and we signed one player in the early signing period. Okay. It was yeah. all that we could, you know, find time to do. And by the time we got there and everything, and we had signed a right-handed pitcher by out of Atlanta, Georgia, by the name of Alex shilliday okay. And so, uh, uh, you know, Alex came to us and we brought in the rest of the class. And actually, amazingly, it, it turned out after nine years, it turned out that first class might've been one of our more successful classes that we recruited. <laughs> wow. uh, Brad Lidge was in that class. Yeah. We had added him, um, you know, Brad had a long uh, successful major league career. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Alice comes to, to campus and we're at the f- first day of practice and I, you know, we, our coach's locker room was connected to the player's locker room. And there was a bulletin board out there that coach Mary would, would put the practice plan on every day. Well, Shilly Alex Shilladay walks in the locker room and I, and I'd peek out and you know, say something to a player or whatever. And I'm looking at him and his, he is so close to the, to the practice plan. His nose is right up next to it. And I'm like, what is going on here? Sure. All right. And I was the recruiting coordinator. Coach <laughs> Mary had never seen Alex A pitch. And so uh, I'm like, Shilladay, I mean, what are you smell in that piece of paper? Right? <laughs> I mean, you're, he says, oh, no, Coach, I gotta, I gotta, that's what I got to do to see it. And I'm like, oh, God. yeah, <laughs> Like, what's going on, <laughs> on here, yeah. right? right? Okay, so I'm like, all right. Okay. Well, we get out to practice. And the first day of practice, Coach Mary always likes to have the, the, the hitter, the pitchers, throw batting practice to the hitters. Okay. Maybe. Like, you know, full distance. Yeah. But they're just throwing fastballs. They're behind an L screen and get used to throwing strikes and so the hitters can hit and things. Well, Alex Shilliday throws his first pitch and he steps on the side of the L screen and the catcher throws the ball back to him and it like whizzes by his head and goes out to second base center field. And Coach Maneri looks at me and he's like, What the heck is that? Yeah, did you see that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> so I walked out there. And I had the catcher come out, and I walk out and I said, "Alex, catch the ball." Yeah. He says, "Coach, I can't see it." And I said, "What? <laughs> you can't see the ball? You know?" He says, "No, I can't. I've got a vision problem." Right. Cool. So I said, and, I, and Coach Nairi's in the dugout, scratching his head like, "Okay, <laughs> here's O'Connor's first recruit, yeah, and he can't see the ball coming back to him, right?" Oh my so. Gosh. We developed the body. I said, well, how did you do it in high school? He said, well, the catcher just lobs the ball back to me. All right? So wow. I am telling you, this kid pitched for four years at Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. And I love. he was arguably, maybe not the most talented, but arguably the most successful pitcher we had there. In our, he won more games than anybody else, right? <laughs> Couldn't see the <laughs> signs. We had to do body touches for signs. Right? And I, I will never forget Coach Mary turning and looking at me saying, go fix this. Yeah. I mean, why, why can't the kid, you know, catch the ball? Right? Sure. The second one, so uh, we had darn near a legally blind pitcher as our first pitching recruit. And I'm the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator. Can, right? Can we get so, him some, some rec specs
1: or can we get some contacts? Yeah, or Well,
0: no? let me tell you, we tried everything, so <laughs>
1: Um, oh,
0: the, the, the second one was yeah, happened here when we were at Virginia and we were up playing George Mason uh, University up in northern up in Northern Virginia. And uh, we had a left handed pitcher by the name of Alex Smith. And so we're playing them, and at some point in the game, there's a guy that's leading off, okay, uh, or that's leading off first base, and Smitty and Carl's Kuhn's calling our pickoffs. Smitty picks the first base, and he throws it down the first baseline. All right? But the runner can't advance because it hits the umpire. All right? (laughs) Yeah. And so the ball's laying there, and Bill Brown, the manager of of, uh, George Mason, sitting on the dugout, like, how do we not get second base, whatever? And and I'm sitting there saying to Carl in the dugout, like, Carl, how can he, as a, a head coach, would do to an assistant? How how would how can how can Smitty throw a pickoff throw that wild? Yeah. He's not even close. Okay, I'm like that's ridiculous, right? But whatever, and I just don't want to give up the ninety feet, right? Yeah. Well, before he throws, before he before he, before he throws a pitch home, show, or the, Smitty, the pitcher, Carl hasn't pick again. This time it hits the umpire again. Two pops in a row. This time I am not kidding you, Chiefs. It hits him in the neck. Oh, okay, and the umpire drops. Yeah, he's done. And now I am like, I am like, Carl, go out fix this as if it's his fault. Yeah, right? but you know, so. Bill Brown is over the dugout and is just beside himself <laughs> because we just tried to pick twice at first base and both times it hit the umpire. <laughs> I've never seen this happen. And the, and the, his, his runner couldn't advance to second base. Oh my gosh! Wow. And what happened was our, our Kevin McMullen and James Mullen who was our volunteer assistant at the time. They're sitting in the back <laughs> of the dugout laughing so hard they're falling off their buckets right. that they're sitting on because i'm yelling at carl as if it's his fault right. so are we a
1: couple of interesting stories there are we going vision problem on that one too or <laughs> no
0: no it, just okay. accuracy problem yeah there we go but i but i just said I, what i said to carl is don't pick again yeah all right Please. no more <laughs> picks i don't want to get anybody else hurt
1: that's right oh man oh that's good yeah those are those are plus stories yeah. Um, yeah, Brian, you've you've already opened up. I know a few guys that would show up on this question, and certainly recant those if you want to. But I know you can add just your personal Mount Rushmore. And I love this and the fact that you get to really give a shout out to the three or four people that you would exalt. Man, the people that have impacted you the most in baseball. Who are you putting up there?
0: I, I would say first of all, my father. I mean, he was mm-hmm. my my little league coach. That like you know, and he's the guy that took me out in the backyard every day growing up, right, and taught mm-hmm. me about not only the game of baseball, but about respect and, and how to, you know, treat other people and teammates and coaches and things like that. And certainly Jim Hendry, he's, he's in that Mount Rushmore for sure, you know, giving me the opportunity to come there. And, and, um, you know, uh, Todd Winberg, my pitching coach that I had, uh, at, uh, at Creighton was tremendous and taught me everything about being a successful pitcher and and pitching coach. And, And, uh, you know, Jack Dom, who gave me an opportunity to, to, to coach at, uh, at Creighton and and really took a chance on a 22 year old. And then, you know, finally, you know, but most importantly, right there at the top of the Mount Rushmore would be Paul Maneri, certainly, um, you know, just the nine years together, but even more than that is the last 15 years, his mentorship, I, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you the amount of late night calls, early morning calls. Mm. Hey, we've got this issue. What do you think about how I dealt with it and, and things like that? And uh, that that will continue on uh, forever. So th- th- those would be the guys that have you know really had made an impact on me in, in this game of baseball. Oh, that's great.
1: Um, you've had the opportunity to be around some great baseball players and and, and even better baseball people. And I guess when you look at that, you know, the cream will rise at the top. And if you had to scoop up the qualities of the very best players, the very best teammates, the very best people that you've been around in baseball, open those up for our guys. Uh,
0: I I would I would say first and foremost, she said those people, whether it be coaches, players, right. Um, People that you're involved with in the game, first and foremost, they're prepared. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, They are they are they're they're more prepared and they're thinking ahead of their competition right no matter what it is you know those those players they they they're more prepared than the guy next to them mm-hmm. right and and a lot of times players come to the office and say hey why 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 am i not playing more well one of the reasons is the guy that's playing he's more prepared than you are yeah he's more prepared every day he pays attention and he knows what's going on we don't have to tell him time and time again what, what needs to be done. So I'd say preparation. Um, You know, the second one I'd say is, is uh, these, these guys that separate themselves as coaches and players, they got a, they got a certain, they're, they're they're consistent with their effort and energy. Mm. Right. Um, Mm. You know, I, I just, whether it be pulmonary and me being in the office next to him and seeing the consistency with every day, him showing up and him delivering in his job or, or the player, the great players we've had in this program and the, the, they don't have to, you, they don't have to be told to dial it up, right. They dial it up themselves and, and it's, and it's consistent. Um, I, I say the, the, these guys have the, they have the right attitude and body language, right. Um, those are the kids you love being around, yeah. you know, the guys that, um, you know, that they can handle adversity. Uh, they know how to handle it. They can adjust and, and they've got, great positive body language, no matter when it happens and, and uh, no matter what happens. Um, and then another one I'd say is, uh, is the, the, the great ones, they're loyal. They're loyal to each other. They're loyal to their teammates. They're loyal to their coaches. Um, what I, I, I for me, there isn't, the, there isn't, there isn't, any quality that's more important in our program, in any program is loyalty Mm. because once we, no matter how talented we are, once we don't have that, we're done. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, so those guys, those great teammates, they have that. Um, so those would be the short list of things that, that, that I would say, um, Mm. also too, that, you know, the, the great ones. It really seems like they have a lot of respect for other people, mm, and uh, yeah. you know, they, they do. They, yeah. they 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 respect others, and sadly, I think that's a dying quality in our country. Yeah. Right. And I. But I. But I think the great ones. They they respect you as a coach. They respect a fellow teammate. If uh, coach to coach, they respect other coaches. Um, I, I, I haven't met too many people that are ultra, that are very, very successful that don't have a level of respect for other people. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. yeah, that's
1: awesome. yeah.
0: That's, those are the things I would say. Yeah.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Um, take us home on this one, man. You, you've been just yeah. awesome on every single front, but we're thinking about the best advice you've been given. I think that is, is a uh, a perfect question that it's hard to really bring to summation, but at the same time it can be powerful in, in what you hold on to. And then again, what else is out there? What other advice would you have for anyone listening to the show, Brian, where would you send them?
0: Oh, um, well, well, the first is the best advice that that, that I've been given is, um, you know, a great coach told me one time, and, and I've heard this from him many times, that, the old saying, you're always, you know, you're always one step away from the gutter. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, no. but that, you know, you, you know what that, and it, and it, and it humbles you, right? Because and what it, what it means is it means a lot of different things, but that if you, if you want to be successful in whatever it is you do, you got to believe that there's nothing beneath you. Mm right? Mm -hmm. Some days you got to pick up the rake and rake the field. Some days you got to pick up the trash in the corner, right? If you want to have a successful program, all right, sometimes you got to do the things that maybe you don't want to do. And I think this is great advice for, for young coaches is that, you know, I think a lot of times we can look and see people that are ultra, ultra successful or head coaches, certain ways or assistant coaches and things like that. But there was something. There was things that went along the way for them to to get to where they're at. Pay attention to what those people do, right? And sure. when you start when you start thinking that that stuff is beneath you, that I don't need to do these things because I'm better than that, it, it'll it'll be short lived. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. So I think that that advice that I got one time that you know, listen you're never as good as you think you are and <laughs> yeah. you're never as bad as you think you are that's either. It. Right. That's great. And that you just, you know, you're, 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 you're just always one step away and that keeps you motivated. It keeps you uh, on, on the task at hand. It keeps you trying to sharpen your saw and, and get better and constantly uh, moving forward. So um, that that's been something that I've never forgot. And I've, I've, I've tried to live. That's challenged a lot, and a lot yeah. of times I'm guilty of not doing that, but uh, that, that, that's where the
1: effort is. Mm, gosh. It's an interview I don't want to end, and I'm just so beyond thankful. And I think our listeners would say the same thing, Coach. Just beyond grateful that you had the opportunity to jump on here and and share the things and really bear your soul in some regards. That's what makes our show Uh, so successful is getting coaches that were willing to deliver certified audio gold and give our guys takeaways that can challenge them in their own careers and keep strengthening this baseball coaching community. Brian O'Connor, thanks for jumping on the call with us, my man. We wish you and the Cavaliers, your staff, your players, the very best of luck. Thanks for being part of the ABCA, and we look forward to catching up again with you real soon, Coach. Hey,
0: shoots, thanks a lot. It's a, it's a pleasure, and I look forward to uh, many, many years and involvement with the ABCA. It's a great organization. I, I appreciate all you, you guys do.
1: Coaches, thanks for checking out our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and another one of our Dugout Chatter episodes. Here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our job is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help you out. Head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about our coaching fraternity. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at ABCA1945. If you want to reach out to me directly, do that through Twitter, at CoachSheets3, or by email, Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org we'd love to hear from our loyal members we'd like to hear from some new members and continue to find ways to work together at growing the game of baseball huge thanks to the sponsor of our dugout chatter shows our great partners over at rawlings if you're looking for more information about what they're doing for baseball and this coaching fraternity head over to their website rawlings.com that's r-a-w-l-i-n-g-s.com and thanks again guys for your support As always, thanks for listening in and staying dialed into our Calls on the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball.